Welcome to The Chris Rawl Show. I am Chris Rawl. If you have not signed up for my newsletter, you should. It is free. It is easy. It will come into your inbox every Wednesday. All you need to do is go to chrisrawl.com, click on the subscribe button, put your email address in, and then voila, like magic, you will be an official subscriber to the official newsletter of The Chris Rawl Show. Here we go. Let's talk about sports today um, because on today's episode, I want to talk about the required patience of team building. Now, close your eyes. Patience is a virtue. Sometimes, most times, the vast majority of times. I think anybody who has done anything in their life realizes that for the most part, patience is a good thing. It's just that trust that you garner over time that uh, the, the thing that I'm doing is correct and it will be rewarded at some point. And most times that is true, especially if you're honest with yourself and you're you're honest in your intentions uh, of trying to improve or, or reach a certain expectation. I think the vast majority of times patience is a virtue. There's a reason that is the same. Now, I think about this particular saying and that particular word patience a lot in regards to team building. And I think a lot about team building in general as the postseason nears its conclusion, because this is the time where there's a couple teams left as of this recording, two in basketball, four in hockey. And you can look at them and ask a lot of questions, questions that are applicable to the rest of the league and to this particular process, the process of building out a championship level team. And you go, okay, how do we get here? Okay, what did these teams, these six teams, what did they do correctly to put themselves in position? Why are they here? What can people learn from the process that all of these teams implemented? What is a complete fluke and just a reason that one or some of these teams are here that can't be replicated? That's just kind of exclusive to this particular moment or team or player in time. Now, I'm of the mindset that team building as a whole revolves around that word, patience. That's the name of the game. Just a simple kind of equation. It's when to exercise it and when to not. Those are the two sides that you're just at war with time and again and again and again and saying, all right, for the most part, we know patience is a virtue and we have to lean to that side, but sometimes we can't afford to be patient. So what's the give and the take? What's the push and the pull? I personally am usually quite forgiving on the patience side, a little more extreme in that sense, especially if you have a roster in place that I personally think is championship quality. That's threaded into the way that I watch sports and the way that I talk on this show. I'm a really firm believer that if you have a roster in place that I think is championship quality, even if you're not winning in the postseason, I go, eh, it's all right, run it back, make some tweaks on the edges, but run it back again and again and again and again. Because I know and believe that you can lose in the playoffs every year for a long time, sometimes even your entire career due to things out of your control. The name of the game is put yourself in position enough to win it and hope that you will break through. That's kind of the faith aspect of team building. But we're not talking about faith today. We're talking about patience and this equation that can last for years and years and years and sometimes into decades that revolves around the one question. How long should you stay patient? And it's a very interesting question because every fan and every executive has a different answer. It's probably why it's one of my favorite topics to discuss. Because there's so many different answers and 
all of them are right and all of them are wrong. And it just kind of depends upon the situation. And there's really no way of knowing until the career of a player or a team has played out. So I want to start today's show by talking about a specific team, the Philadelphia 76ers. Because when I think about patience as a virtue, you got to think about the flip side of the coin and just the way that it can go wrong sometimes. If maybe you are not as honest with yourself as you should be, or just sometimes the execution is botched for one reason or another, or sometimes things go awry that you cannot control. The last almost decade has been probably the case study of my lifetime about extreme team building. And for the process sixers, kind of just this extreme exercise in patience, most of which in present day has been unrewarded. You go back to May 2013, that's when Sam Hinkie was hired as general manager for this team that kicked off a lot of events because he's the one who stepped in and said, we're going to be bad on purpose. And people kind of freaked out because a lot of NBA teams did that, but none were brazen about it. They wouldn't go out and thump their chest and say, yes, we are trying to be bad because we want to tank and we want high draft picks. We think that's in our best interest. And the Sixers were. They were the chest thumpers of tanking. That's where the term trust the process came from. You know, Philly, they're printing out shirts that fans are wearing to games while they're winning no games every single year. Hinky's first draft that night was the summer of 2013. He trades Drew Holiday, who was the Sixers' only all-star at the time. Just kind of signaling, hey, we're not here to win right now. The stuff that's in place, all right, cool. Drew Holiday, yeah, good player. Actually ends up being a championship player for Milwaukee years later, but okay, reasonable player, but you're not building a championship roster with him as the centerpiece. And the Sixers felt like they were far away from building out a championship roster. So they said, you're gone. Rip everything down to the studs. Here we go. The process begins. So we're going over years and years and years. Just that simple mindset that Hinky brought to the table where we're going to tank to accumulate as many assets as possible with the belief being in a star-driven league, this is the easiest way to find stars, right at the top of the draft, which in a lot of ways is true. Now, what we've known in present day is the way this played out raises a lot of questions about how important is culture and how important is it if you are telling your team over and over and over that we want to lose, how hard is it to then get some of the players that remain, especially the ones you picked at the top of the draft, to buy into, well, actually, we need you to flip a switch now and we need to play winning basketball, which is shocking, a very different thing from losing basketball. Just the things that are required on an individual level, the buy-in, all that kind of stuff. A lot of things that are based, you know, more on the culture side of things than on the play side of things. Go and look at the Miami Heat. They're the perfect example. Just getting players to buy into, this is how to play winning basketball and nobody's here searching for numbers. You're going to hit the floor. You're going to try and draw charges. You're going to make the extra pass, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of questions that have come out of that with the process Sixers. But on the patient side and on the team building side and just going back to, hey, we want stars. Let's tank so we can get high draft picks. They did a great job of doing that because they get top three picks in four straight drafts. They draft Joel Embiid, home run. They draft Jalil Okafor. Both of them are the number three overall picks. Okafor, complete whiff, unfortunately. Then in back-to-back drafts, they pick number one overall, Ben Simmons. And then the final pick, Markel Foltz. Now, Markel Fultz is one of those combination of execution errors and just random chance went against you. 
The execution is that year, Philly has the number three pick overall. And for whatever reason, they get dreamy eyed about Markel Fultz. Boston has the number one pick. They say, we want to trade in. We want to get Markel Fultz. Boston says, okay, you can trade in, trade us a future first in the number three pick in that draft. And you can have Markel Fultz. So they do. Now, what's way intense about that is the number three pick that the Boston Celtics trade down to ends up being Jason Tatum, who was the best player of that draft, who was first team All-NBA this year, who was playing in the NBA Finals, looks like one of the next up-and-coming stars within the NBA. A player that if you plopped him onto the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, you would have an incredible foundation for a championship team. Instead, they picked the guy who everybody had a lot of high hopes for, and then he hurt his shoulder, and then he got the shooting yips, and we don't even know what happened to Markel Fultz's career, but he completely flamed out in Philly, was completely broken. They traded him to Orlando. Now he's a bit player there. We don't ever think about him anymore. There's other moves that go down, you know, but that's the first move. It's one of the two moves that I point to within the process era where I go, this was so catastrophic for flushing out a championship contender that it's going to be really hard to come back from that. Now, even despite that, then the last couple of years, I'm going, ah, you still have pieces. And, you know, if you make the right trade. In 2018, they draft Mikhail Bridges, 10th overall. They trade him out to the Phoenix Suns. Un- just an incredible whiff in retrospect when you realize this is one of the best up and coming wing defenders and, and 3 and D style players in the league playing on Phoenix now. That's the exact kind of player you probably want playing around someone like Joel Embiid, an MVP candidate this year. This year is the, the second catastrophic move, in my opinion. That Philly's been patient. Philly's been patient. Philly's been patient. They're waiting for the correct time to say, no, no, no. We got to show a little bit more urgency. We got to cash in stuff. When is that time? When is it the correct time to do that? That's been a debate for years and years within this franchise. This year was the cashing of the chips. Ben Simmons, you're out. Daryl Morey, who's now the GM at Philly, he's saying, you know who I want? James Harden. Long track record with him at Houston. Oh, sure, he looks overweight and out of shape and apathetic playing down the stretch with Houston and a lot of the time in Brooklyn, but we'll get him on the roster and he'll look great because he's just, he'll, he'll want to play with Joel, all that kind of stuff. They trade for him and what they get is an out of shape and overweight and apathetic James Harden, who again is just completely wilting in the playoffs and looks like he wants to be anywhere on earth but there. And now we're sitting here after nearly a decade's worth of moves. That is a long ass time. And I'm going, what do you have to show for this? And what is your path moving forward to championship contention? You have one incredible person on your team that I stamp as he's healthy and playing, which is a big if on that first part. Joel Embiid, that's a player you can win a championship with. They hit a home run with the Tyrese Maxey draft pick. I don't know where he's going to rank within this scale of championship contending players, but I think they have something there. Beyond those two, there's not a lot that I like about this team. So I'm going, all right, after nearly a decade's worth of moves, you have a handful of early playoff exits and no conference finals appearances to show for this nearly decade-long process that you've shown a lot of patience in. That my own personal belief teaches me, well, at some point you should be rewarded for that. And now we're getting further down the road. We're not at the end of it. But if I'm the Sixers, I'm looking around going, oh, we might have made some mistakes. (laughs) That's part of team building though. And I don't bring up the Sixers to say, 
everybody should just show urgency at all times and nobody should show patience because look at the Sixers. They showed patience for nearly a decade and they're just not great relative to a lot of teams that have been able to accumulate title contention a lot quicker. But this is this is one of the trickiest questions to answer for contenders and pseudo contenders. You know, when is it time to tear it down? When is time to show patience? When is it time to show urgency? There's not a cut and dry answer to this question. Again, great, great reason why I like to talk about it. There are times that I'm flummoxed by it. There are times that everybody's flummoxed by it. There's incredible sliding doors moments throughout the history of every single championship winner where the mob's out and saying, you got to tear this stuff down and it's not working. And only retroactively do we go, oh, yeah, actually, no, that is a championship team because now we've seen it happen. I'd point at a team like go back to 2012 with the Heat. LeBron's second year there. They lost the first year to the Mavericks in the finals. The second year, they're down 3-2 in the Eastern Conference finals to Boston. If they lose in game six or in game seven of that series, 100% guaranteed Chris Bosh is gone. Eric Spolster is gone. Anybody who followed them at that time knew those would be the two fall guys. Incredible sliding doors moment. Because what we know now is they win six and seven. They go on to win the finals. They win the next year. They make another finals the year after. They have an incredible four-year window. Two finals losses, two finals wins. Bosch and Spolster are integral pieces within that. You know, a championship-level player, championship-level coach. That we're going to be the fall guys because... You're not going to win a championship. And so who is going to have to take the ax within this particular year? Patience versus urgency. Sometimes it's not really fair. Sometimes it's not really logical. If it's just a results-driven enterprise. 2021 bucks, another good example. If they lose in the second round to Brooklyn, a Brooklyn team that they're playing without Kyrie Irving by game five. James Harden has hurt his hamstring. He plays the last couple games of that series looking like James Harden with a hamstring injury, just kind of globbing around and standing in place. Despite that, Milwaukee loses game five on the road. Total heartbreaker. They should have won it a million times. They somehow gagged it away. So now they're down 3-2 going back to Milwaukee. They lose game six or game seven of that series. I promise you, Mike Budenholzer is gone as coach. And I'm not sure what personnel moves are being made, but there are personnel moves that would come to that roster. Instead, they win the next two, get some breaks along the way with Atlanta. Trey Young gets injured, go bash Phoenix down. Now we know NBA championship team. Okay, great. Patience rewarded. We know that this is a championship unit. We know that Bud is a championship coach. Same kind of idea. Almost every championship team has these sliding doors moments where things were on the verge of being disassembled before they broke through. That's why I skew to the patient side because I could go down every single championship team for all of time in any sport, NBA, NHL, NFL, you name it. And I would go, okay, here's the point in this team's however many year window. That a lot of people, and and sometimes me included, a lot of people go, I don't think this is going to work. I think you need to trade star player X, or I think you need a new coach, or I think you need this to be changed. Drastic changes, and instead, they weather the storm, they win, and we go, oh, this makes sense, right? Patience is a virtue. Mostly, mostly. You You have a lot of tails on either side. I, again, if you are in a contention window, I would always say skew towards patience. I think more times than not, that will be what is rewarded. Now, I spoke of contenders and pseudo contenders, and it's very important that you're able to understand the difference between if you are part of the team building aspect. Because I would look at my hometown team, the Utah Jazz, and I would say, I think we have our answers here. And I think the time for patience is over. Because if you watch them the last few years, 
I think it's just, it's such a glaring thing that jumps off the screen, especially when they're in the playoffs that I, I just look at it and go, you know, when you know, you know, that's the best way I can describe it. You watch this team and right now in present day, I feel very different than I did two years ago through that regular season when they were the best, had the best record, had the best net rating of anybody. They're going to the playoffs. I wasn't sitting there thumping the drum saying this is the championship favorite, but I was intrigued by their potential. And I thought, all right, give this room to breathe. And I'm intrigued by the idea that with the right breaks, this team could win the championship. I thought that about the Utah Jazz two years ago. And now I sit here in present day after watching that year's playoffs and this year's regular season and this year's playoffs again. And I feel very comfortable saying this current roster that they have has literally no chance of winning an NBA championship, regardless of the breaks. I, I truly do believe that. And again, I felt polar opposite two years ago. But sometimes you see enough and consume enough that I would say, all right, this is the evidence that we need to say the time for patience is over as far as this particular roster, the personnel fits. Because you watch the Utah Jazz in the playoffs against the Clippers two years ago, the Mavericks this year even against the Nuggets somewhat three years ago, and you go, the personnel fits are too big to overcome in the playoffs. That lack of wing depth, that lack of defense on the perimeter, uh, an offense that these five-out units that the Jazz are playing against just really uh, are able to kind of ratchet down and and take away their three-point shot and and just say, "Ah, all right, we'll just switch every time that Rudy Gobert comes to set a screen and you guys are just going to be bogged down in the mud. And that's the way that it's played out. Just... Offense and defense that seems a lot more built for the regular season than the playoff grind. And that is dictated by the personnel that is on the roster. So now we enter into the offseason, and they're one of the teams that I find to be intriguing. Because I do believe they recognize that. I, I, I would be shocked if there's any basketball fan on earth who has watched this team closely that feels differently than how I feel. Including the people within the front office there. And so their question is, all right, who... Who gets jettisoned? Who remains? Let's start this cycle again. The shaping of the next five years begins over the next few months. And that kind of spectrum flowing of patience is going to be dictated by what they do now. Is it a complete teardown? Are we trading Mitchell and Gobert? Is Quinn Snyder gone? Do we trade one of those two and try to build something in the meantime around just Mitchell or just Gobert? Who knows? One of the teams that's in the NBA Finals. That at times I thought they were a pseudo contender. At times they thought. They were contender at times this season. I just thought this team's kind of bad. They're a great, great, great example of patience being rewarded in the face of a lot of negativity. The Boston Celtics. They were a sub 500 team on January 1st of this year. They were so bad. They were so unenjoyable to watch. They looked kind of broken. And this is a team that had had some reasonable success the prior years with this young core. This core of Tatum and Brown and, and Smart. I mean, we're talking about a team that made multiple Eastern Conference finals over the last couple of years. They took LeBron to game seven in his final year in Cleveland when these guys were all babies. But through the first 40 or so games of this year, again, they looked completely broken. Terrible chemistry, terrible offense, terrible defense. Just they looked like they needed a shakeup. There's a lot of calls by a lot of people that, hey, just trade something to jog this up. Maybe one of these three, you know. I think everybody wants to keep Tatum, but is Brown available? Is Marcus Smart? We could definitely get something for one of those two. What pieces make more sense if we trade them out? They start that up in their minds, you know, let's send out some feelers, see where we're going. Instead, Boston, to their credit, Brad Stevens is the GM, 
goes, no, let's, you know, give it room to breathe. We got a new coach, Ime Udoka, who took over for Stevens. Seems like there's been a clash between players and coach and style and all that kind of stuff. Let's give it some room to breathe. Let's show some patience. Okay. And what has emerged is an incredible basketball team. Very clearly championship contender. They're in the NBA finals. Over the January 1st until now, they've become the best defensive team in basketball. Ime Udoka has really imposed his vision of what this particular basketball team should be and utilize the personnel because it's so versatile in a way that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I guess is probably the easiest way to describe that, especially on the defensive end. Why this team is now in the NBA Finals five months after the majority of people who watch basketball are sitting there going, they don't got it. I would probably break some of this down. Patience rewarded, right? Most times, that's why I skew that way. Again, a lot of examples throughout the history of sports for teams that make the finals, championship, whatever, teams that win it. There's always this moment, sometimes multiple moments, sometimes a lot of moments. On the hockey side, the team that I would say not mirrors them exactly, but they come from the same vein as the Boston Celtics of just this team that some people have some questions about, but Show some patience and we'll see what happens. Colorado Avalanche, my favorite team. They're in the Western Conference Finals right now playing Edmonton. I, I want to read something actually that I came across. This was from Sean McIndoe of The Athletic talking about Colorado. Ever since emerging from that last place season in 2017, the Avalanche have had a string of playoff disappointment that included losing in the second round three years in a row. The Avs were playoff underachievers and that meant they could have blown it all up. They didn't and it was obviously the right call. It usually is. We can point to the Lightning as another example of a team that stayed the course and had it pay off. Sticking to the plan is almost always the right decision for teams that are having the debate. So yes, stay the course is smart. It's also boring. And worse, it can be an excuse for teams that are nowhere near as good as the Avalanche or Lightning. It's one thing for Sackick to stick with a stack lineup because he knows their time will come. It's another for the GM of your favorite team who just went fake 500 and missed the playoffs for the third year in a row to point to Colorado while preaching patience, end quote. So a lot to take in in there that I find to be very interesting and noteworthy. On the Avalanche side, I think Sakic, it sounds so easy to just say, yeah, Joe Sakic, he just stuck with a stack lineup because he knew their time would come. Joe Sakic, a dude who played in the league for a lot of years, he's one of the best hockey players in the history of the league dude who won multiple Stanley Cups with Colorado, dude who won MVP trophy. Just, uh, again, an all-time great who has been through that side of things and understood it doesn't necessarily happen as fast as you want it to, but when you got a lot of talent, you trust, hey, keep putting yourself in position over and over and over, and you're going to break through. On the GM side, as Joe Sackick transitioned to that with Colorado and really built out this, this kind of incredible collection of talent, I think he understands the same thing. He obviously does because the last... Three years as the abs were losing in the second round all three times. Sakic never like wavered on his vision. And I think part of it was just, yeah, the first year we lost in the second round at the San Jose Sharks, we were there early. It was a young avalanche team, nowhere near what they are now. They lost in game seven. That's sometimes what happens. Two seasons ago, I think Sakic watches it and goes, we lost to the Dallas Stars in overtime of game seven. We had an entire roster just besieged by injuries, terrible injury luck, all that kind of stuff. We were down to our third string goaltender, Michael Hutchinson. We picked up on waivers from Toronto with a couple months to go in the regular season. He starts the last three games of that series, including game seven. I'm just not going to really overreact to anything that happened here. And last year, to Sackick's credit, I think 
he saw a series that showed him things about his team that needed improvement. Avs, they play the Golden Knights. They boat race him in game one. Just one of those avalanche games that they can throw together from time to time. Miko scores an overtime winner in game two. And they go to the road in game three. They're up 1-0 halfway through the third period of that game. It looks like they're setting up a 3-0. Maybe we can sweep the Knights. Holy cow, that's going to be crazy. And the Knights score two goals in the last 10 minutes of regulation in game three. Win that game. Then win the next three. And what really came to light within that series was the Avalanche looked uncomfortable playing hockey in certain ways. And the Knights were really able to dictate, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to forecheck the hell out of your defense as they try to move pucks from your defensive zone into transition. A key to what Colorado wants to do. And Makar and Taze, they're always going to be able to do that good no matter what. But the other four defenders on the Avalanche roster, especially Sam Gerrard and Ryan Graves, Eric Johnson, people like that, they really, really struggle within that series. And sometimes, you know, the Knights were just like, we're completely content to dump and chase or force you to do the same. We want to limit that transition play. Sometimes the Avalanche just did not look as comfortable playing that style. So Sakic, I think, looks at it and says, all right, this doesn't mean that there's an inherent flaw within our core, which is very talented. Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen and Gabe Landeskog and Makar and Taze. And even Nazem Kadri, who was suspended for that whole series. Another thing that you think about. He goes, could some of these players have played better? Absolutely. We lost. But that doesn't mean we trade one of these players or we say, this player doesn't have it or this player doesn't have it. There's got to be wholesale changes. I think he looked at it and said, we got a great core in place. We're not going to panic. How do we accentuate what is here? How do we make it so we're a more versatile hockey team? Think back to the Utah Jazz. Just rigid as can be on offense and on defense. Win a championship, you need to expand upon your core principles. What can you do? The Avalanche, okay, let's, let's see what we can do to just kind of fill in the gaps. Flush out the edges. There are two people who I've watched throughout these playoffs. Actually, three. Just Kadri not being suspended has been an incredible boost because he's one of the best second-line centers in hockey. But trade deadline acquisition, Arturi Lekkonen. And Valerian Chushkin, who Sakic signed for pennies on the dollar a couple years ago. Uh, flame out draft pick, top 10 pick for Dallas, never did anything for them. Avs just go and pick him off the scrap heap. I don't think anything of it, but those two players have really come to symbolize if you get versatile players and put them around incredibly talented players, you're going to have a hockey team that can hurt you in a lot of ways. That's what we've seen throughout these playoffs because those two have bumped in the top six. We've had various combinations, but the combination of their skill and versatility and their willingness to do a lot of just dirty work and energetic work that I think uh, really sets kind of the tone for whatever line they may be on. Pairing one of those two, Natushkin or Lekkonen, with two of the four incredible talents on the top six, Kadri, Rantanen, Landis Cog, and McKinnon, it's been an incredible boost for Colorado. That's part of the team building side. Again, these are all great players in their own right individually. You're also seeing, uh, man, if Arturi Lekkonen's playing with Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landis Cog, it actually kind of enables them to do things differently and sometimes more effectively than if you just stacked the three best players on line one. Same thing with, ah, if Nachushkin's here playing on that line in place of Lekkonen and you're flip-flopping the other one with Rantanen and Kadri, hmm, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen here. You don't need to blow everything up. I really like that line that McIndoe has, you know, sticking to the plan. It's almost always the right decision for teams that are having the debate. I, that's something I wholeheartedly believe in. 
Again, go and look at championship teams throughout the course of time. And then the other part of that, another line from him that really stands out is as part of that process of saying, are we actually a contender or are we a pseudo contender? It can be an excuse for teams that are nowhere near as good as the Avalanche or Lightning. I, again, I pointed a team like the Jazz and say, I think you have the evidence that you need. I don't think we need to sit around and debate it any longer. I think you are clearly with this personnel, you are not a championship contender. I feel very comfortable saying that. But there's a lot of teams within that particular spectrum. The championship down to the pseudo contenders and which side are you floating on? Uh, it's sometimes kind of hard to tell. Even if you have years and years of playoff losses piling up because you can always look back and say, but man, we still have a lot of talent on this roster. I'll end the show with the team that I think is, well, they just are the team that is almost always right at the top of. They're probably going to have a large say in what happens this offseason. They're one of the most interesting teams year and year and year and year and year. Toronto Maple Leafs. Because they would be a team that I'd point to and go, yes, you are in a similar situation to where the Avs have been, where the Lightning were before they won the Stanley Cups, where a lot of talented teams have been that have playoff failures. And years have piled up for a long time if you're Toronto. But I'd look at them and I'd say, look, this is like the most important time for your franchise for the next decade. Because I believe the time for patience is here. It's the time to stick to your guns. Again, it seems like every season they are the most interesting team of the offseason. Because they lose in the first round all the time. This year again, another first round playoff loss. They've lost seven straight times in the first round. They have not won a playoff series as a franchise since 2004. They got the ghosts of Maple Leafs pass. They are in the most frenzied hockey market you could possibly find. So they're talked about day in, day out, day in, day out. Everything is nitpicked. Day in, day out, day in, day out. But I watch them and I go, you, you have an incredible core. <laughs> you just do. I point to the five most important players on the roster. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, Morgan Riley. See, all those are awesome players. I do not want any of those players going anywhere. I just don't. Okay, you lost in the first round again. Okay, you have some, some meltdowns in the past. Great. That, sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes it's bad luck. Sometimes you definitely could have done better. Sometimes it's just hockey. Sometimes you're up 3-2 in a series and up one goal in game six. And the refs decide to give Tampa a five-on-three power play and they score. And then Braden Point scores in overtime. Sometimes that's just the way that things work. But I watch that team, and especially watch them this year, and I go, this is just, they, they just are one of the best teams in hockey. They just are. Despite the fact that they lost again in the first round, and everybody will cry and say, this roster should be broken down, and who can we trade, and which of these forwards should leave, and all the talking points that every Maple Leafs offseason entails for the last couple years. It's just the same thing. Who should we trade? What can we get? This guy should leave. I hate him. Why didn't he score more in the playoffs? Who? What about this guy's fit? That's just... It's the continuous cycle of the team that has not yet won. Now I look at it and I go, I would not be trading any of these players. I think it's similar to the Sackick thing. It's quite simple. You're Kyle Dubois and you're the general manager of Toronto. You just go, look, we have a young, incredibly talented core in place. Yes, we have failed in the playoffs. But this team is too talented to break up strictly because of that. Now is the time to kind of stick to the plan. Now is the time to... Just say, uh, let's roll it back and make some changes around the edges in a way that all smart GMs do and trust that one of these years we're going to be able to break through. Look to the Lightning. Look to the Avalanche. Look to a long list of 
account of teams that struggled for a while, sometimes even a long while in the postseason, yet remain patient and then finally cash that in. So what will the Leafs do? It's the main question of the last few off seasons. But in the context of this show, in the context of how I, I watch sports, I would offer McIndoe's words to them again as advice. Sticking to the plan is almost always the right decision for teams that are having the debate. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Reminder, go and sign up for my newsletter. You can go to chrisrawl.com, hit the subscribe button, put your email address in. Every Wednesday morning, it'll be there. It'll be free. It'll be happy. It'll be a grand old time. So thank you for listening to today's show. I'll be back on Tuesday to talk Stanley Cup Finals. Actually, Stanley Cup Playoffs, Stanley Cup Finals, NBA Finals. Who the hell knows? It could be anything. It could be football. It could be soccer. You never really know. But I will be back here on Tuesday. Peace.